Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. All right. Uh, hey, everyone. I'm Ruben. I'm one of the pulmonary hypertension uh, physicians working alongside uh, Mike and our team here with Yasmin and Dan. Figured I'd start first with an executive summary, just give you all the answers, and then we'll go into why this is a um, hard topic to really pin down and what some of, some of the data are in terms of getting to this uh, summary here. So uh, I was tasked with discussing the epidemiology and the incidence of both CTEF and CTED, or chronic thromboembolic disease. So as for most rare diseases, the data on this is pretty scarce. scarce. Um, CTEF occurs with an estimated incidence of about 3 to 30 cases per million, um, which results in about a 0.1 to 8.8% rate within two years after an acute PE, and I'll talk about where, where those numbers come from. Um, however, we know that somewhere around 25%, and in some studies up to 60% of patients who get who ultimately get diagnosed with CTEF, they, are, um, they do not have a prior history of a thromboembolic event. So... Um, it's hard to really define this population. CTED, so that disease of having chronic thromboembolic disease without the true elevation in pulmonary arterial pressure, is roughly about 10 to 15% of patients after an acute PE, which roughly translates to about 30 to 45,000 patients per year in the US. So, why is this topic uh, difficult to understand? Um, some of the limitations to understanding the incidence and epidemiology of CTEF and CTED is that estimates are usually based on the prevalence of referrals to PH specialty centers, which is a, uh, a biased population. It depends on small registries who follow patients prospectively after an acute PE. And there's an invariable use in both these registries and these trials that using either echocardiography or diagnostic catheterization to diagnose whether it's CTEF or CTED. The estimates vary because there are differences in referral patterns, and I'll highlight some of those studies. Um, there's differences in screening strategies after acute PEs, so after patients are diagnosed with acute PE, and there's difficulties inherent in the confirmation of the diagnosis of CTEF, you know, usually mandating multidisciplinary teams to try, try and come down to that diagnosis. So just to highlight some of the differences in referral patterns, uh, Victor Tapson and his group um, showed the study back in, I think it was 2016, where they used a, a managed care claims database, and they showed that 87% of patients had symptoms of pH after an acute PE, but only 61% of them underwent any type of imaging to evaluate those complaints. Locally, um, we here demonstrated that over about a three and a half year period, which roughly equates to about 2,500 patients with PE in the Northwestern system, we demonstrated that 12% of those patients who were at risk, only 12% of those patients who were at risk were referred, um, and that distance from our CTEF center was one of the big differences among those who were referred uh, at risk and those who were not referred who were at risk. So how we get to the incidence and epidemiology of CTEF, start first with the incidence and epidemiology of acute PE. Um, so from an acute PE perspective, this incidence ranges from 104 to 183 per 100,000 person years. Um, we know that the incidence of an acute PEs has been increasing, especially over the 2001 to 2009 period. So in that bottom graph there uh, on the right of your screen, you can see that uh, the incidence stayed pretty much stable uh, up until about 2001. And then after 2001, the incidence started to increase. And we attribute that increase just due to our improvements in the diagnostic uh, imaging of patients with uh, symptoms or uh, suspicion for acute PE. Our group, um, Dr. Kataga, Dr. Carla Martin, uh, and colleagues demonstrated that although this incidence is increasing, 
prior to 2008, the actual mortality of a QPE was actually on its uh, downward trend. It was a, a negative 4.4% adjusted mortality. But over the period of 2008 to 2018, that um, adjusted uh, mortality actually started to increase to about a positive 0.6%. And there were also racial and uh, gender disparities that were highlighted in this um, uh, nationwide data set that they looked at. The issue with uh, chronic thromboembolic disease is it's, it's also very hard to diagnose. So um, in a pretty decent study that used to be uh, high probability VQ scans, um, defining chronic disease as having at least two perfusion defects, 29% of patients with an acute PE have residual perfusion defects at six months. Um, those patients who have those residual perfusion defects are more likely to have dyspnea. They're more likely to have higher echo-derived uh, systolic PAP pressures and a lower six-minute walk. Um, and they found certain risk factors for that persistent perfusion defect, age, time between the symptom onset and diagnosis, and the degree of obstruction at the time of an acute PE. We know that the recognition of an existence of this post-PE syndrome, or CTED, it further complicates our calculated incidence and estimates of CTEF. So how likely is CTEF after a PE? Um, there's been many studies that have looked at this. This is the meta-analysis that combined many of these studies. And you can see here on the screen that um, 16 studies with about 4,000 patients and all comers at the top of the screen there, screen there um, the incidence of CTEF after an acute PE in all comers is about 0.6%, 0.56%. In survivors of acute uh, PE, that, that increases to about 3.2%. And in survivors without major comorbidities, that incidence is about 2.8%. What complicates this is that PEs are not all clinically diagnosed, so we know that you can have silent PEs after DVTs. This comes from some of our surgical data where they've looked at patients who had evidence of a DVT and have shown that anywhere from 18 to 15, 52% of patients had evidence of a PE after a DVT, and it was clinically silent in anywhere from 18 to 75% of those patients. A systematic review of distal DVTs, so distal to the popliteal, demonstrated that there was a, a pulled prevalence of silent PE of about 13.1%. So a pretty significant number of patients who have DVTs have silent PEs as well. So this is a nice uh, figure from Tim Fernandez in the San Diego group. So we estimate that the, acute, the incidence of acute PE in the U.S. is about 300,000. Based on our evidence of persistent, persistent perfusion defects, that would come out to an incidence of about 90,000 patients who have persistent perfusion defects. Um, and from there, the diagnosis of either CTED or CTEF. CTED, we don't quite have a good incidence uh, estimate for, but for CTEF, it's anywhere of about 3,000 patients. The incidence of undiagnosed acute PE is um, uh, the big question mark here. And then Nicely, uh, actually, Tim Fernandez's group recently just published on the likelihood of patients with CTEF progressing to CTEF, and it wasn't a very high number at all in that study. So these look like two different populations of patients. Um, some of the risk factors that are important to, to highlight, and I, I know we mentioned it in the last um, case, but there are risk factors uh, for the development of CTEF with pretty high odds ratios. So there are things that the uh, comorbid conditions that have high odds ratios or high risk factors for CTEF, and then there are time, uh, certain clinical setting, certain clinical characteristics at the time of an acute PE that's more likely to develop CTEF. So the comorbid conditions are things like a VA shunt, having had a splenectomy, um, patients who have very few but uh, very characteristic uh, 
hypercoagulable state like antiphospholipid syndrome, and then things like a massive or submassive PE, um, having RV dysfunction at the time of the diagnosis of PE, and if they've had symptoms for greater two greater than two weeks before the diagnosis or in initiation of anticoagulation. So with that, the same executive summary. And I'll hand it off to Dr. Schimmel, who will be talking to us about uh, balloon pulmonary angioplasty. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.